My message this morning is entitled, A Kingdom of Priests. A Kingdom of Priests. <laughs> I mean, though, the Bible says that we are uh, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, we shall also be glorified with him. How many of you know the Bible says that we are kings and priests before our God? Did you know that? Did you realize that? Now, there are some religions that teach that only one man can take your sins or your confession or your request to God and they become a human mediator. But the Bible teaches us that we only have one mediator between God and man. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you are glad you discovered that a long time ago that all you need to do is take your needs and your petitions to God through the name of Jesus in the power of that name and that's when prayers get answered. It's not because God chose one man to be a priest, but he's chosen all believers to be priests. In fact, if you go with me to my text this morning, it's, it's Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6. You can read along as we read from the screen there. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The New International Version says, uh, these, you shall be unto me a, a, a purchased possession. A kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you will speak to the Israelites, God says to his man Moses. I'm calling you to be a kingdom of priests. Now, it's interesting the wording here. Uh, God shows us, in fact, he shows us in this, this passage, there's, there's actually three verses I want us to read. Um, go with me to verse 5. I think we have that on the screen. Verse 5 through 7. Can we read that? Okay, here it is. Now, if you obey me fully... And keep my covenant. Everybody say covenant. Keep my covenant. Then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. My purchased special treasured possession. Then in the next verse. He says although the whole earth is mine. Um, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. And a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the Israelites. So what I want us to focus on this morning is the kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God shows in this passage his objective for his delivered people, for his uh, emancipated folks. I, I think that's one reason uh, there are a number. Number one is a spiritual battle. The devil uh, hates God and hates everything God ever created. But another major reason that the Jews are so mistreated and maligned and, and, and tormented uh, through all these years, is the fact that they are an emancipated people. They're the first uh, nation that has been held captive for so many years, actually centuries of captivity. When you combine Egyptian captivity and Babylonian captivity and so on and so forth, they've been held captive for so long, but now they are a free people. And I tell you what, that threatens a whole lot of people around the earth. It threatens the tyrants. It threatens the, 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 the oligarchs who would, who would rule with an iron fist and an iron uh, rod, who would try to control people, to know that there's a nation of people who have been held prisoner but are now free. And when you recognize it's the hand of God that has brought freedom to his people every single time, then that's an incredible thing what God has done for the Jews and certainly it is a point of contention for every demon in hell and every devil that walks the earth. They hate the Jewish people. But I got news for you. I love the Jewish people. God loves the Jewish people. They're the apple of his eye. They're his chosen people. Somebody say amen. So, so 
God shows his objective for these delivered people. His purpose for their destiny includes understanding his priority for them, and that is to worship him. So the Jews' priority was to worship and honor God. This is the basis for their relationship with him, for sharing in his kingdom possessions, and for sharing in winning victories over their enemies. Now, get this. He did not desire a nation with priests, but that they would be a nation of priests. There's a huge difference there. God didn't just want a nation that had a, a tribe of priests or a few priests or a, a handful of priests. God was looking for an entire nation that would reveal the truth of heaven to the world and would serve him in worship and devotion as a kingdom of priests. That's his priority for them. He didn't desire a nation with priests. I want you to get that. You might want to write that down. He didn't desire a nation with priests, but rather a nation of priests. In other words, all the nation would be priests before him. And so what Israel, the Jews, forfeited through their disobedience, Romans chapter 5 teaches us that Christ purchased for us through obedience. Take a look at this beautiful passage out of the New Testament. This is where Peter the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2.9, he took this concept of a priesthood of nations, a priesthood of all Christians, and he put it down for us in this writing, 1 Peter 2.9. He says, to the church. Now, he's not speaking specifically to the Jews now, as Moses was in Exodus 19. Now he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to Christians who are out of both Jew and Gentile. He says, but you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, almost exactly the same wording. You're God's special possession. You're a people purchased for a possession. Now, if you're reading in the King James uh, Version, then when you arrived at that part of this verse, it said, you are a peculiar people. Anybody ever heard that phrase before, peculiar people? You ever, you ever preached that for yourself or had someone else preach that and you heard the term peculiar and they tried to point out to you that just means odd, weird, different? Well, it's true. I know some Christians who are different. <laughs> I know some non-Christians who are different too. But that's not what is being said here. Actually, this should have been translated a purchased possession, a special possession. God's not calling us uh, he's not calling us weird. He's not saying you're, you're peculiar because he's trying to, to call us oddballs. He's saying, listen, you are a holy nation. You're, you're chosen people, royal priesthood, a, a, a particular possession that I have chosen for myself, God's saying. And he says that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Look at the rest of the verse. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That might be verse 10 I'm giving you there. I'm not sure. But I, I'll tell you, what a beautiful thought. You're a chosen people, royal priesthood, and holy nation. So the concept then, that God wanted a nation with priests, I mean full of priests, is carried over. And now we see what God intended for Israel to have and for the Jews to uh, enjoy is now ours through Christ Jesus. Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then friend, you are a royal priesthood. You are of a chosen generation. You are a holy nation. You are the special chosen purchased possession of our God that ought to make every Christian shout. Now priests are to do three things. I want to just tell you real quickly here, three things 
that priests are called to do. Number one, priests are called to bear the Ark of the Covenant. Now, in our, in our, um, in our understanding of this, it would be to carry God's presence from the kingdom of God to a lost world. We don't have an Ark of the Covenant that we literally put on our shoulders like the men of, men of God, like the priesthood did. We, we don't have a, a, a box like they did. I, I believe the true Ark of the Covenant is in the heavens. I believe that's where it's at. I believe John saw it when he shared the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he understood that that's where the true Ark is. Now, there's a, there's a type of that Ark that, that the Jewish people manufactured. God gave Moses the understanding and all the details. And they put the Ark together. And they, that when they came to the Ark, the Ark was representative of God's presence. It was representative of the Shekinah, the glory of God. And everywhere that ark went, the presence of God would go. The ark didn't have to stay in the, in the tabernacle or in the, in the temple for the presence of God to be around it. No, no, we understand that even at one time when the ark was captured in battle, it was placed in the uh, idol room uh, of, of, the, uh, uh, of this particular uh, group that had, that had won the battle and stolen the ark from God's people. And they put it next to their, their princess and their, their, their prince, their, their big uh, statue of, of a prince that they had built. And, uh, in, in the fa- and, and when they came back in the morning, the, the statue had fallen and broke its nose off. I'm telling you, the power of God was all over that ark. Another time when the ark was being brought back to Jerusalem, um, it, was on, it was on a cart with oxen pulling it. God never said put it on a new cart, never use oxen. That was man's way of bringing the presence of God. But that's another story for another time. <laughs> God's, God's uh, instructions were that you took these long uh, staffs and you put staves, I guess it is, and you put them through the rings of the ark. And the men of God, the priests, would carry the ark, which was significant, uh, symbolic of the presence of God. And they would carry the presence of God everywhere that it went. But anyway, they had it on this ark, they had it on this ark with oxen pulling it, and it starts to, to, to teeter like it's going to fall off the ark. And a man reaches out by the name of Uzzah. And he reaches out and he touches the ark. He's trying to, you know, he has good intentions. I mean, he was, he was like trying to help God out. He wasn't trying to do anything nefarious or, or, or illegal. And he reaches out and when he touches the ark, the Bible says he was smoked dead because he touched the presence of God. So, so that ark, that's the one we're talking about. Priests are called to bear the ark of the covenant. Now, for New Testament priests, we are to carry God's presence from the kingdom in which we live to a lost and dying world, to a kingdom of darkness that has no light, to a kingdom of death that has no life, to a kingdom of, of sin and a kingdom of sadness and a kingdom of sorrow. You know these people. They, you work with them. They live around you. They live on your block. They live on your street. You, some of them are in your family. They're lost. They don't know God. They don't have the light that you have. So our responsibility as priests before God is to carry God's presence into their life. Let them see the presence of God. Let them experience the presence of God. Let them uh, see from your lifestyle and your witness and the things you say and the things that you do. May they see Jesus. May they see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Number two, the second thing that priests do in addition to bearing the ark is they stand and minister to the Lord. They stand and minister to the Lord. Now, may I just say that worship must be a hallmark of our service. Dedication to God and godly things must be a hallmark of our service. 
Am I dedicated to God? Do I worship Him with my lifestyle? See, worship is so much more than coming in here and singing a series of songs on Sunday morning. It's so much more than playing Caleb on your radio. <laughs> it's so much more than, than we, we, have, uh, we have actually relegated worship uh, to the, the realm of music and song. And there's, I love music and song. I'm a musician and singer from way back, and I love to worship God in music and song. It's, it's one, of the, one, of the, one of the ways of worship that draws me closer into the presence of God than anything else. Some people, it's the word that brings them closer, quicker. Some people, it's prayer that brings them closer. Well, for me, all I need to do is start worshiping a song in a song like we were singing this morning. And I tell you what, I, I, I sense the presence of God all around me. I love it. But I'm going to tell you something. That's not what all worship is about. Our worship is a lifestyle. Can I get a witness out there? Our worship is every day, 24-7, seven days a week when we're in the presence of God and when we're not in the presence of God. I'm telling you, we, want, we are, to, men, we are to, to demonstrate to a lost and dying world what Jesus is all about. And we do that through worship and dedication as we stand and minister to God. So put that down as the second thing that priests are called to do. The third thing is to intercede for the people of God. Intercede for the people of God to a holy God. Intercede, intercession. Intercession, what a tremendous opportunity. What a tremendous ministry every believer can have. So pastor, I don't know that I'm called to be an intercessor. I don't know that I'm called to intercede for people in prayer. Well, listen, that may not be your calling uh, per se. That may not be like your giftings per se. But there's something each of us need to do for our friends, our family, when they're in need, when they have an issue of their life, is we bring their needs to God as a priest before a holy God. It's part of our responsibility. It's part of our calling that priests are called to, bearing the Ark of the Covenant, standing and ministering in the presence of God, and interceding for people to a holy God. How important is this ministry of intercession? Oh my goodness. All right, so those are the three things in our calling. Now let me give you three things that are that are um, uh, that are also in our in line with with uh, the calling of God as priest before Him. Remember, our whole our whole premise now of this message is that God called Israel, he called the Jewish nation, the people who were not a people, but they became a people because of what God did for them. As a matter of fact, they became a nation in a day. Isaiah sixty six he prophesied about being coming a nation, and on May 14, 1948, Israel became a nation in a day, one day. After 2,000 years of wandering and roaming through the earth, after 2,000 years of being mistreated and maligned and tortured and put to death in gas chambers and, 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 and by all sorts of horrible things, millions upon millions upon millions of Jewish people have been put to death by, by men who are just you know, full of the devil. And after all that, they came back together and now Israel is stronger than she's ever been. Did you know Israel has the fourth greatest military in the world? Did you know at this time uh, Israel has about the seventh greatest uh, economy in the world? A tiny little nation of about six million people. Tiny little strip of land about the size of New Jersey. Surrounded by Arabs who for the most part are Muslim and for the most part hate their guts and they want to destroy the Jewish people. They've done everything they can to annihilate them, push them off the map, force them into the, into the sea, whatever they have to do with them. But yet, God's hand is upon the Jewish people. So God called the Jewish people. He said, I want you to be a nation 
of priests. And they forfeited what God had called them to do. And as a result, God called one tribe, the tribe of Levi, one-twelfth of the Jewish people. He called to be, a, be the priest before him. When all the while, it was God's intent that every Jewish person would be a priest before God. Okay, so they forfeited their rights to be priests. Now the only way a Jewish person can become a priest before God is to be born again. And the moment they're born again, then they fall under 1 Peter 2, 9. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy people who are, who are called to bear witness to God and, and, to, and, to, and show forth his praises. That word praise is an interesting word, by the way. That really means virtues. To show forth the virtues of God. Ooh, hallelujah. See, that's our calling. That's what we're called to do. That's what Israel was called to do. But now God has transferred that to the church. And now he has said, you, born again man, woman, boy, girl, you who are part of my family, you who are called by my name, you don't have to go to school. You don't have to be trained as a priest. You don't have to have all, all any, any sort of trappings. Listen, if you're simply born again, you are called to be a priest before our God. And there are certain responsibilities that go along with that, certain calling those along with that. Oh, but there's certain rewards that go along with that also. Let me say that to you this morning. Amen. So priests then are to be are three things. They're to be cleansed, they're to be clothed, they're to be consecrated. Let's take a look at the word cleansed, first of all. Priests are to be cleansed. <clears throat> Moses was told to wash Aaron in, in, in Exodus 29 and 4. He was told to wash Aaron, who would be um, the first uh, priest in this lineage, wash Aaron and his sons with water. This is a ceremonial washing. This is not the first bath they ever had in their life. This is a ceremonial washing that took place. It only took place one time. After they were washed in that bath one time, then to please God, they only had to wash their hands and their feet. Now, I'm sure that as, uh, you know, just as normal human beings, they would take baths more often than that. I mean, they didn't just do hands and feet the rest of their life. Okay, but as, a, as, as pleasing to God, all that was necessary was the washing of the hands and washing of the feet. Our Lord explains this type, Jesus does, in John 13, when he told Simon Peter in verse 10, he says, he that is bathed needs not except to wash his feet. You remember reading that? Jesus was about to wash the feet of his disciples. And he, he tells Peter, he says, listen, if you're bathed, okay, as, as the priest, then then all you need to do is wash your feet. Jesus told Peter that a believer is bathed only once, implying his original salvation, okay? Titus 3, 5, for instance, calls regeneration a bath, okay? He saved us through what? The washing of rebirth or regeneration, I believe the King James says, and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So, so, this, when Jesus said you only need to be bathed one time, he's referring to his salvation experience. So the bathing of Aaron and his sons illustrates for us the new birth, which of course enables us to be priests today. So we are cleansed, first of all. Number two, we are to be clothed. The priests were to be clothed in garments of linen, according to Exodus 28 and Ezekiel 44. It tells us why this had to be. They were not to sweat in God's presence. There was to be no smell 
of human flesh when they approached God. Only the sweet savor which speaks of the perfection of Christ, which would come to God through the incense. And it would be, a, it would be an incense, it would be an aroma, a fragrance that was pleasing to God. It spoke of the perfections of Christ. That's all that God wanted to have enter his nostrils, if you will. And so he says, I don't want you wearing wool. I don't want you wearing anything else that's gonna make you sweat. Linen keeps a person cool. Wool makes a person sweat. Wool is a natural product that grows on a sheep's back. All you have to do is shear the sheep to get the wool. But linen has to be manufactured. Linen has to be produced. It's a manufactured article. You take the, the flax seed and you grind up that seed and, until it becomes a, a, a powder and then you add certain elements to it and you, you stretch it and you work with it until it becomes something that you can work with, like, a, like a, a string, a strand, and then you put it on a loom and you start working it and you work and work and work until you have a linen product. The linen is more costly than wool uh, because there's more effort that goes in. There's, there's, there's more work that goes into linen. Anybody who's ever worked with linen can tell you that linen, uh, it, 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 um, it wrinkles real easily. It wrinkles so easily. I had a linen jacket one time, and you never could keep that thing ironed or keep it straight. It was always wanting to wrinkle. You hang in your closet, you pick it up the next day, it's wrinkled. I don't know how it does that, but it just, it just wrinkles. Well, that's what linen does. Linen is more expensive because it, it, is, it, it, it costs more man hours, and, and there's more that goes into the production of it. It is manufactured. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. The linen ephod that God had placed on the priest, there was a reason why it was linen. And he calls us as his people. In Revelation 19 and, and verse 8 and also verse 14, we wear linen uh, that is, let's read that together, uh, fine linen, bright and clean, was given her, the church, to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people, verse 8 declares. Verse 14, then the angel said to me, who would be John, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. My Siri is talking to me on my phone. I bumped her and then I started talking and she starts talking back. What are you talking about? Something that'll get your attention. All right, Siri, you just lay there now. Be, be quiet, honey. I, I work alone up here. Okay. So, so when we're talking about, <clears throat> about the priest, we're talking about a, a, a cloth, a, a robe that is placed on the priest and we see it in the book of Revelation upon believers. Not just the priest of, of Aaron's time or Moses' time or not just the Levitical priesthood, but I'm telling you the, 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 the linen is placed on believers and when we come back again with Jesus at the uh, second coming of Christ, we will be wearing white robes that are made of linen and they are the robes of righteousness. In fact, they're the righteousness of God that makes up the robe itself. It's been manufactured, it's been produced for us because God wants us clothed in linen. So being clothed in linen, we see then that the, the, the believer of today, the priest of today, the priesthood, okay, is dressed in righteousness provided for him, not by any works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And Christ's death on the cross, he became sin that we might become the righteousness of God through him. Did you get that? 
He became sin. He didn't just bear our sin. The Bible says he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God through him. So we're, we put on his righteousness and it is seen in the end times in, the, in Revelation. John saw the church. He saw believers coming by the thousands, by the millions with Christ at the second advent. And they had on white robes. They had white linen robes, which are symbolic of the priest. The priest role is to wear linen and God has chosen that for us in the end times. We are fully accepted. We are fit for God's presence and he outfits us as such. Number three, the third thing that we, um, that, that we are, uh, that is interesting for, for, um, for the priesthood this morning is that we are consecrated. I'm giving to you lots of them in threes this morning. So here's, here's the third point. We are consecrated. Everybody say consecrated. Consecration. Now don't be afraid of that word. Don't be afraid of that word. Don't be afraid of sanctification, uh, just justification. These are just biblical terms that are referring to doctrines of Scripture that we need to understand. And so when God wants to consecrate us, he did so with the, uh, the early uh, priesthood, the, the Levitical priesthood. He placed the blood on the ear, on the thumb, and on the big toe of Aaron and his priests. That was part of their ritual. It was the blood of the ram of consecration. So this blood, according to Exodus 29, 22, if you're taking notes, the blood consecrated them to the service of God. Just so the precious blood of Christ today consecrates every believer and, 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 and to his work, consecrated to the ministry of worship, consecrated to intercession, consecrated to service. God, by the blood of Jesus, has consecrated every one of us. We don't have to go kill a bull or goat or a heifer or a sheep or a turtle dove and get the blood. No, the blood of Christ Jesus has been, has been shed once and for all. For without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. But the blood has been shed. We don't have to continually do that every year as an atoning work. Christ did it once and for all. And we fully accept that. And so that blood has consecrated you and I and set us apart for God's work. Amen, amen, and amen. Just so the precious blood of Jesus consecrates the believer today to his work, to his ministry, to worship, intercession, to service. And so the blood being put on the ear, the hand and the foot, suggests that now as a priest, I am to hear God's word, I am to do his will, I am to walk in his way. You see that? That's what that was for, for the priest. And it's a type, it's a shadow. You see, what you see in the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, hidden. Then in the New Testament, you see the Old Testament revealed, exposed, and, and, and made, made bare so that we can understand it. Let me repeat that for you. In the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, but in the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so God is, re is revealing some things in the Old Testament, but he's giving us a type. He's giving us a shadow. And he's saying, look at the, look at the blood on the priest." Okay, all right, there's blood. So, so, so Aaron and the priest, they would take blood and they put blood on the ear and the thumb and the toe, the big toe, right foot, big toe. I don't know what that means. What's that mean for me today? What that, what, what, what's that all about? Why is that in the Bible? I'll tell you what's in the Bible. It's a beautiful type. It's a beautiful image and picture of the blood of Jesus Christ that would make us, make us willing to, to, to hear his word and to do his will and to go where he wants us to go. 
the ear, the thumb, and the toe. I'm telling you, he got it all covered, didn't he? The blood of Jesus changes us and draws us close and opens a way for us and creates a new covenant whereby we can worship our God. It's not the old covenant anymore. It's a new and lasting way. It's a new and permanent way. It's the blood of Jesus. It's not the blood of bulls and goats, but the blood of Jesus that was shed. Somebody say amen. Someone said, preacher, you sure make a big deal about the blood. Yes, I do make a big deal about the blood because God makes a big deal about the blood. Listen, if you exclude the blood of Jesus from your Bible, you're taking out redemption. You're taking out the, the process whereby men can draw close to God. You can't draw close to God through your own works and your own ability by things that you do. It's only by the blood of Jesus. Let me just show it to you. 1 Corinthians 6.20. If you want to go there for a moment. 1 Corinthians 6 and 20. I apologize this morning. We normally have two screens. Make it easier for everyone to see. But uh, we had a projector go on the fritz. I think it got snow and ice in it. No, just teasing. Seriously, we do need to remember our brothers and sisters who are affected and afflicted by, by these icy conditions. I, I heard of a family today that has been one of our families. I didn't know this till today, but they messaged and said, we'll be watching on computer, and so hope you guys are there at home watching. And um, they said, we've been without water for a week, an entire week without water. And so this is a serious thing, and we recognize that. We need to remember our brothers and sisters, uh, those who are in, in fellowship with us, and, and, and remember them. All right, so on the screen... 1 Corinthians 6 and 20 says, you were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. <clears throat> In fact, the, the, the verse previous to that says, you're not your own. Okay? You are not your own. You're bought with a price. Well, preacher, it's my body. I'll do what I want with it. Mm. Mm. Not if you're a Christian, it's not your body. If you're a Christian, you're, you've been bought with a price. Actually, actually, the price has been paid for all mankind. Christians are individuals who have acknowledged that and confessed the Lord Jesus as Lord and, and been born again. But you were bought, speaking out of Christians in 1 Corinthians 6, you were bought with a price. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price, and the price is the blood of Jesus. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. Well, it's good to remind yourself of that every once in a while. I am not my own. I've been bought, I have been purchased with the blood of Jesus. I'm part of this special possession we were talking about a moment ago. I've been bought with a price. So, so what are the, the functions of priests? Let's take a look at the, the functions of priests real quickly. Number one is, is to worship. To worship. And I told you a moment ago, I took the time to point out that worship is more than singing. It's more than music. It's more than uh, those kinds of things. Worship always comes first in Scripture. There were 11 tribes in Israel who were warriors, and one tribe was composed of workers. One family of that tribe <coughs> constituted worshipers or the priests. And it's still true that so few believers ever really enter into their privilege of being priests. It's so sad that believers go their entire lives and never hear a message like you're hearing this morning. Never have an understanding that God's called us to be priests before him. 
And that we're to take the needs and petitions of others and intercede to God on their behalf through the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't approach God in my own merit. I don't pray in my own name. How silly would that be? How far do you think my prayers would go if I prayed in, Jesus, in Mickey's name? <laughs> Nothing happening there. But I tell you what, when I pray in Jesus' name, heaven stands at attention. When I pray in Jesus' name, hell trembles. When I pray in Jesus' name, I unlock the power of heaven to go to work on the need and the petition that I have. And so worship comes first. Worship comes first. Eleven tribes, one tribe was workers, one family within that tribe were the priests, the worshipers. Warriors, workers, worshipers. In John 4, Jesus said, the Father seeketh such who worship him. He's looking for worshipers. The Father seeking worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. He says, there's a time coming. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well and she, after hearing him uh, use the gift of the word of knowledge about her situation and let her know that he knows about her past it was kind of a shaky past. And so all of a sudden, she wants to change the subject. And so she, she directs the conversation to worship and, you know, church and religion and stuff. Because she says, I perceive you're a prophet. And so she does what a lot of people do when they find out I'm a preacher. They start talking real, real churchy and preaching, you know, Christianese. And it's amazing. They'll tell me about, oh, I haven't been in church in a long time because, you know, I, I didn't ask. I wasn't really fishing. And so this is, she finds out he's a preacher. So she says, well, uh, now you're Jewish and you Jews believe that it's all about Jerusalem. Well, our fathers believe that you can worship in this mountain over here. What do you think about that? And Jesus said to her, listen, honey, there's a time coming and it's now come because here I am. I'm the Messiah. When true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth, true worshipers worship in spirit. That means out of your spirit, out of the depth of your spirit. It's not an emotional thing. It's not just a head thing. It's not just a head knowledge that I have. I worship God out of my spirit because that's what he requires. My spirit calling into his spirit. Deep, crying into deep. The Father's looking for men and women like that who worship him out of their spirit and in truth. What is truth? The word of God is truth. So to worship God out of your spirit, you worship, you worship him biblically. You live for him biblically. If, if it's outside the scripture, I'm not interested in it. If it's extra biblical, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I encourage you not to have anything to do with it. If somebody tries to come along and give you another doctrine that does not line up with the scripture, does not line up with what you've been taught as, as biblical, you need, to, you need to pay attention to truth. True worshipers will worship him in spirit, out of their spirit, and in the truth of the script. So as worshipers, we offer spiritual sacrifice. We offer the adoration of our hearts. Worship is the only thing we can give to God directly. That's why it's so important. God can get anyone to serve him if he wants to. In fact, Satan is one of God's busiest servants. I don't know if you knew that. God uses him for many purposes. You look in the book of Job or the life of Peter. Uh, but Satan cannot worship God. Only true believers can worship him. Those who know, those who love our Lord Jesus Christ as the one who's redeemed them by his own blood. So listen, 
God looks to us. He's expecting worship from us. Amen. The second thing that uh, God expects of us as a function of a priest is intercession. We've talked about worship and intercession a little bit. Just wanted to add a little bit more here, put a little more meat on the, on the, uh, on the skeleton, if you will. As Christ, our great high priest, intercedes for us in heaven, so we on earth intercede for others. We read in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1 about praying for others. Paul teaches Timothy, he says, listen, I urge then that all petitions and prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, especially those who are leaders, those in authority over you. But for all people, we should be making petitions and prayers, intercession and thanksgiving. And here's the beautiful thing about this, friend. I don't have to intercede for you, for instance, your needs in my own power, my own strength, my own ability, because the Holy Spirit who indwells me and indwells you, he, when it comes to intercession, he makes groanings which cannot be uttered. When I don't know what to pray for as I ought, the Spirit himself makes intercession, same word, the Holy Spirit makes intercession for me with groanings which cannot be uttered. This, these groanings, I believe, is the prayer language that God gives to a believer when we're spirit baptized. I was spirit baptized at about age 12. I began uh, praying in other tongues as a, as a little camper at one of our uh, youth camps or kids camps, Wilberton, Oklahoma. That's over 50 years ago now. I've been a spirit baptized believer ever since. I've prayed in tongues every day, as far as I, as far as I know, for over 50 years. I've, I've helped countless numbers of people receive the Holy Spirit baptism, and I've been there when God gave them a prayer language, and it's a supernatural thing, it's a wonderful thing. So I, 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 just from experience alone, I have a little bit to talk about, but also I have the power of the Scripture behind me in that uh, Paul told the Romans, he said, listen, when you don't know what to pray for, and you've just run up against the wall, you need to, you need to, just yield yourself to the Holy Spirit and let him pray through you because he knows the mind of the Father. And, and, and when you pray that way, then all things, verse 28 of Romans 8, when you pray like that, then all things are working together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. Sometimes we take that verse out of context. We just jerk it out of the chapter and, and, and plaster it on our wall. We don't really know what we're talking about. We're talking about letting the Holy Spirit pray through you. And when you do that, then you know that all things are working together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So intercession is a, is a vital ministry for every priest. Number three, I have four. This is number three. We're to hold up Christ. I mean, we're to lift him up. We began last year. Our theme was lift Jesus higher for the year. And a couple of months into that year, we were hit with COVID-19. Oh, my goodness. Did it not rock our worlds? It's still rocking a lot of worlds. You look around here this morning, there are probably over half of our congregation not here. Some are not here because of the weather. We understand that. There are some who are ill with this, this disease. Uh, there are some who, are, you know, would prefer to distance themselves and watch on, online. And we understand all that. I, I'm certainly not going to fuss and get mad and, you know, that, that, that has no, that's not even productive to do that kind of thing. We understand all those things. 
but our lives have been so shaken, I think sometimes we've forgotten the word to lift up Jesus. Well, there was a chance to say amen, but it was kind of quiet when I said that. <clears throat> we've kind of forgotten that we're called to lift him up, to exalt him, to hold him up. The priest in the Old Testament would carry the ark on their shoulders. So we as spiritual priests hold up Christ, of which the ark was a type. The, the priest upheld the ark as the army marched around Jericho, for instance. And we as priests uphold Christ as we walk in spiritual victory over the enemy around us. The priests would not only hold up the presence of God, but the second thing they did is they blew their trumpets before the ark. They called attention to the ark. They're wanting everybody in that procession of two or three million or however many were, 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 were marching. Well, there wouldn't have been that many, excuse me, but however many are marching around the city. Um, they wanted their attention drawn to the ark. They wanted them to recognize, listen, we're lifting up Jesus. So the fourth thing they did is they blew the trumpet. And we're called to blow the trumpet of the gospel. We're called to call men to accept Christ as Savior. Priests in the Old Testament carried uh, the sin of the people in their hearts. We read about in Leviticus 10. And those who realize their privilege and feel the responsibility as priests today will help to bear the sorrows and the sins that often afflict God's people. Now, don't get me wrong. I can't bear your sin for you. However, I can help you. I can, I, can, I can lead you to the cross. I can pray with you. I can intercede for you. I can exalt Jesus. I can bring the presence of God into your life so you can be set free. And I tell you, it's a wonderful blessing and responsibility to stand before God as a priest in his kingdom. Can you say amen? Praise God. Please be stand, just stand, if you will, to your feet. And... Um, <clears throat> Recently, my theme has been to uh, share with you a little bit about the kingdom of God. And I've preached a few weeks ago a message entitled Characteristics of the Kingdom. Uh, Michael picked up the theme when he preached here just a, a week or two ago as well. Two weeks, I guess it was. And the kingdom of, of God is so vitally important. But we need to understand that we are a kingdom, not just of kings with the Lord Jesus and will rule one of these days with him. But we're called, we're we're, we're commissioned as priest as well. And our priestly ministry happens right now. It doesn't happen in the millennial reign. It doesn't happen in the new heavens and new earth. It doesn't happen in the new Jerusalem. It happens right now. We're priests before God right now. So all the things that I've tried to help you understand about our call and our responsibilities, I believe they're true. I believe they're biblical. And uh, I want to pray over you this morning that you would walk and function in your ministry as a priest before God. Now, in the Old Testament, <clears throat> the priesthood was re reserved for, uh, for men. Males only could be priests. However, in the New Testament, we read in the writings of the Apostle Paul that in Christ, we're neither male nor female, bond or free, Jew or Gentile. In other words, we're all one. Okay? We don't acknowledge a, a gender uh, gap in the, in the body of Christ. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And so we stand before God as priests, whether we're male or whether we're female. We can stand before God as priests, the priesthood of God. Think about that. Clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. So when God looks at me, I believe he sees that, that robe of righteousness. I believe he sees the white robe that's upon me. One of these days, 
Every eye will see it. John spoke of it in the Revelation. And here they come. They're coming out of heaven and they got those white robes on them. Revelation 1 and 7 says that every eye will see him. Every eye will see him at the second coming. So if every eye sees him, they see us too. He's on a white horse. We're on horses behind him. Now, I'm not much of a horseman. I've got cowboy boots on this morning, but don't be fooled. I don't, I, I haven't ridden a horse in 40, 50 years. I guess I could. I guess when I get to heaven and they put me on a horse, I won't have to worry about falling off. I guess it'll be all right. You believe it'll be all right? But we're coming back and every eye shall see him. Oh, I got to tell you, this, this uh, little instrument I have right here, this smartphone, this is a fulfillment of a Bible prophecy. Because when the scripture says, every eye shall see him and it's coming. It's not referring to the rapture because he's coming as a thief in the night. Nobody's going to see. Nobody's going to have an awareness of when he comes. No warning. You can't get right with God. You better be right with God. But when he comes back at the second coming to set up his kingdom, every eye will see him. How in the world is every eye going to see him? I used to think about that when I was a little boy growing up. I'd hear my dad preach or somebody else preaching about you know, every eye is going to see him and Jesus is going to come back and the two witnesses are going to die in the streets of Jerusalem and everybody's going to, how's everybody going to see him? And here we've got this incredible technology, you know? I mean, if I know what I'm doing, I could, I could talk to someone in Jerusalem right now, today, on Facebook or FaceTime or whatever, book time. I don't know, but it's amazing what God has prepared for us for these end times. We need to be taking advantage of technology. I believe that. And I thank the Lord that we've got a little bit going with our online presentations. And I hope if you're watching us from home or somewhere else this week, pray this message is a blessing to you. We welcome you. Thank you for being with us today. Bow your heads with me, please, all over the room and um, at home or wherever you are today. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, now I just uh, lift my hands and, and, and I pray, Lord, a a, a priestly blessing over this group of believers this morning. I, I ask you, Lord, that each of them would understand their place, their role in the kingdom of God, that each of them are priests before God, whether they've been called into full-time ministry or not, that doesn't matter. Whether they've been saved a long time or not, that doesn't really matter. You've called us to be priests. In fact, Lord, those who are uh, Newly, new, new converts, I, I ask that they would grasp this truth now and not have to struggle with it years to, years to come. Lord, may we function as priests in worship and in service and in ministry to you in the name of the Lord. May we function as priests interceding for our family, our friends, bringing needs and petitions to you because you're so faithful. Help us, oh God, in that aspect, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Just take another moment, would you? Just bow your head. Just keep that head bowed. Maybe you want to lift your hands toward heaven. In the, that's the scriptural position of prayer and praise. Did you know that? Paul said, I would that men would lift holy hands without wrath and without doubting when it's time to pray. So, Lord, we lift our hearts and our hands this morning. We thank you, Lord, for hearing us. Thank you, God, for making this truth so real and vivid to us today. Lord, may we now walk in it. May we now apply it. May we now carry out what you've called us to do. May we be faithful in those things. In Jesus' name, amen.